Let's pray as we come to look at God's word. Living Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord Jesus, you are the one who has forgiven our sins by dying on the cross for us. And you're the one who calls us and encourages us to forgive the sins of others. Lord Jesus, as we look tonight at your word, would you speak to us by the Holy Spirit that we would leave here having clearly heard from you. Do a work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives this evening, we ask it in your name. Amen. While driving to school one morning, 16-year-old Shannon Etheridge ran over a lady called Marjorie Josfar, a woman who was riding her bike along a country road. And what was terrible about this was that it was an act of reckless and dangerous driving. It wasn't because the sun was low in the sky. It wasn't because there was some sort of freak thing that happened. It was simply that this young girl, Shannon Etheridge, was driving in a reckless manner. Marjorie died. She died as a result of this accident. And Shannon was found at fault by the authorities. She was completely at fault for what had happened. Shannon contemplated suicide several times. She was racked with grief. She was racked with guilt. She thought that her life was over. But Shannon never took her life because of the incredible response of one man, a man called Gary. Gary was Marjorie's husband. Gary forgave the 16-year-old girl. And Gary pleaded with the attorney to drop all the charges against her. Gary saved her from the guilty verdict that she deserved. And all she asked of Shannon was that Shannon would follow in the godly footsteps of his wife. You can't let this ruin your life, Gary told her. Shannon went on to follow Christ and she became an author. But I want you to ask you for a moment, can you imagine just how Shannon felt? Can you imagine how she felt as Gary said these words to her? Can you imagine how she felt as she grasped that, that the sentence that should be hers wasn't going to be hers? I think she must have felt unworthy, completely amazed, probably totally overwhelmed, completely and utterly undeserving. And I imagine she felt blessed blessed, overwhelmingly blessed and amazed at the forgiveness that Gary had shown her. You see, to receive the forgiveness of another person, it's an amazing, powerful, incredible thing. Whenever you've hurt another person, whenever you've hurt them deeply, whenever you've done something against them and they forgive you, that's a powerful, amazing thing. But isn't it much more powerful and amazing and incredible and mind-blowing to receive the forgiveness of God? There is a God and he is holy and he is loving and he's good and he's blessed us in so many ways. And yet we are people who've said, we don't want you, we don't care about you. We're gonna live our way, not your way. We've offended him by how we think and how we speak and how we act. 
And we might not think very much of sin, but God thinks an awful lot of it. It disgusts him. He hates it. It makes him angry. It makes him sad. He detests sin. And yet we're all sinners. How much more incredible tonight is it that we have been forgiven by God for all of our sin if we have trust in Christ? David says that we're blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord doesn't count against him anymore. As you and I reflect, if we're Christians, on on the fact we've been forgiven, on the fact that God no longer holds our sin against us, that is amazing, incredible, overwhelming, undeserving, amazing, amazing, amazing. To be forgiven by God really is an incredible thing. To have our sins forgiven, to have that guilt removed really is an incredible thing. But it's not just an incredible thing. It is the most important thing that we need in life. Now that sounds like a big statement, doesn't it? Really, Morty? Forgiven sin is our greatest need? Well, it is. And we see that whenever Jesus meets the paralyzed man in Matthew chapter 9. You know the story. If you grew up going to Sunday school, I'm sure you remember it from them. You've heard it read tonight. Jesus is in a room. The room is packed. It's much busier than here tonight. It's, there's not room to move. Jesus is teaching the people. And, and these men bring their friend who's paralyzed to Jesus. And one of the gospels tells us that they, they put him through the roof. They dug a hole in the flat roof and put him through. And he comes before Jesus. And Jesus looks at this man. And everybody in the room can see his immediate need, can't they? His immediate need is the use of his legs. His immediate need is to be able to walk, but yet Jesus looks at the man and one of the gospel passages tells us that he he looked at him and he loved him. And he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus knew that this man's greatest problem was, was not the fact his legs didn't work, but the fact that he was sitting there, lying there with the guilt of sin on his record. Now, maybe you're wondering, Morty, why is sin a big problem? Why does Jesus say it's our biggest need? I want to suggest a few things tonight, and and a number of them, I think, just I want you to reflect on your own life. First of all, sin stops you having a relationship with God. If you have guilt of sin, if it's still on your record, then you cannot have a relationship with God. His eyes are too holy to look upon one with sin on his record. If you've sinned that's not dealt with, if you've sinned that's not been forgiven, if you have the record of sin on you, you cannot be in a right relationship with God. Sin separates us from God. We saw that in the Garden of Eden, didn't we? Adam and Eve sinned, and what did God do? He he banished them. Sin stops us knowing, relating, and enjoying life with God. But it's even worse than that. We don't talk about this in the church very much anymore, but But sin actually makes us an enemy of God. If we're people who have sinned and and we haven't dealt with it and we're sinning and, and we've not had the guilt of sin removed, we're an enemy of God. The Bible says that we belong to the kingdom of darkness and not the kingdom of light. And I know we don't like the sound of that. It doesn't sound very inclusive. It doesn't sound very nice, but that's what the Bible teaches If we are people who have sinned against God and have not received the forgiveness of God, then we're counted as as his enemy. That's not a good position to be in. 
Those also who die with sin still on their record. Those who die without forgiveness. Those who die without having their sin forgiven will also face the judgment and the wrath of God. And again, that's something we, we don't like to think about. But it's interesting, isn't it? In Singapore, in Singapore, if you have broke the laws of the land, you face the wrath of the judge and the punishment to come. And it is the same with God. We've sinned against him, and if we're not forgiven, we will face the punishment that sin deserves. And again, it's not talked about very much, but the punishment for unforgiven sin is hell. We don't talk about that very much anymore either, do we? We kind of don't like to, to mention the hell word. But yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, the person who teaches most about it, who's that? It's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? He talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. He, he describes hell more vividly than he describes heaven. What does Jesus say? He says that hell is a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from where there is no return even to warn loved ones. This is all from Bible passages. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a rubbish dump in the city, where rubbish was burned all day every day and where maggots abounded. We don't like the sound of this, but this is the reality of what unforgiven sin leads to. It leads to eternal punishment. It leads to being separated from the goodness of God. It leads to hell. Can you see why, why sin, unforgiven sin, is such a big deal? Can you see why it should be so amazing to us that we've been forgiven? Because we've been forgiven in Christ, we're in a right relationship with God now. Because we've been forgiven through Christ, we can enjoy life with God now. We're not his enemies anymore, but we're his friends. We're not in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. We're no longer hell-bound, but heaven-bound. It's an amazing thing, an overwhelming thing, an incredible thing to be forgiven. We all stand guilty. We all stand condemned. There's none of us righteous, but the good news is that Christ died to save sinners. Here's a trustworthy saying, says Paul, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What does Isaiah say? He says that the Messiah, that Jesus, was bruised for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Amazingly tonight, we can be forgiven. Amazingly tonight, if we put our trust in Christ, we can be forgiven. But there are two conditions for forgiveness, and I think it's important we know those tonight. And the two conditions are repentance and faith. To repent is to say sorry, it's to feel sorry, it's to be sorry, and it's to turn away from sin, to say, listen, I know that I've wronged you, God. I know I've not lived your way, and I turn from that. And the second condition is belief. It's to put our trust in Jesus. It's to put our, our, our belief and our trust and our reliance on him. And here's something amazing that you might not realize, and it's this, it's that if your trust is in Christ, 
if you're trusting and relying and, and trusting in Jesus for forgiveness, well, what that means is that not only is your past sin forgiven, and not only is your present sin forgiven, but also your future sin will be forgiven. This is a thing that's hard to get our heads around. But, but Christ covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. And the Heidelberg Catechism, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's wonderful questions about the Christian faith and then very concise answers. It says this. It says, the question is, is it up on the screen? Have we got it? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I put it on. I did, okay. So it says this. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is, I believe that God because of Christ's satisfaction or because of his substitution in my place, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come in to condemnation. Folks, if our trust is in Christ, if he's our savior, if he's our Lord, then there is no condemnation for us. We're forgiven because of Christ. I got a question for you though tonight though and, and we haven't even got really into the text yet but, but the question tonight thinking about forgiveness is that who are you tonight and there's only two answers. Are you a sinner or are you a forgiven sinner? Well the good news is you can be a forgiven one. Isn't that amazing? You've said it, you sit there and you say I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against God. I've gone my way, not his. And the great news is that you can be the second one tonight. You can be a forgiven sinner. And the way you become a forgiven sinner is by putting your trust in Jesus, by relying on him to forgive all of your sins. Tonight, are you a sinner or a forgiven one? That is the question that, that is a challenge for all of us. And tonight, only you can answer that. Anyway, the point is that tonight, most of you here, I reckon, are forgiven sinners. We're at a church service. Uh, most of you here tonight are Christians. You've put your trust in Jesus. You're trying to live for Jesus. You're trying to follow Jesus. Most of you here tonight are forgiven sinners. And yet, what does Jesus say that we're to pray? In the Lord's Prayer, he says that forgiven sinners are supposed to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So most of us sit here tonight as people who are forgiven, who will be forgiven, who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, who are not going to face condemnation. Most of us sit here tonight as those people, but Jesus says to us that when we pray, we're to pray for forgiveness. Remember the Lord's Prayer, it's not a rote thing that you just say out loud, it's a pattern for prayer. And as Christians, Jesus calls us to pray for forgiveness. So why does he do that? Because I, I was kind of dumbfounded by this. I was thinking, this week, I was thinking, you know, if, you're, if I'm forgiven, why am I praying for forgiveness? And I think there's a number of reasons. I think that when we pray for forgiveness, um, it stops any sort of self-righteousness. If we're going to take time in our prayer life to really pray for forgiveness, it stops us from self-righteousness. It stops us from thinking we're great. It stops us from thinking that we've earned our salvation. It stops us from self-righteousness. That's one thing that praying for forgiveness does. Praying for forgiveness also reminds us that we're in need of God's grace. It reminds us that we need grace every day. It reminds us that we only stand by grace. When we pray and ask God for forgiveness, we're reminded that it's only by grace that we enter. And also praying for forgiveness, it also prompts us to repent. 
the Christian life is this journey, isn't it? Of kind of the same thing, repentance and belief and obedience. That's all we kind of do as Christians. We, we repent of sin, we trust the gospel, we obey. We repent, we believe, we obey. And when we take time to really pray for forgiveness, it just reminds us of the things we need to be repenting of, that we need to be turning away from. So Jesus, he, he does, he tells us that even though we're forgiven people, we're to pray for forgiveness. So what that means is that you here tonight, I want you to think of your prayer life, okay? Hopefully you have a prayer life. If you don't have any sort of prayer life, we're going to try to get one. That's the whole point of this series. But I want you to think of your prayer life. And, and I want you to think of the things you pray for. My guess is that a number of you will, will have a lot of time thanking God and praising God and being delighted by God. That's part of our prayer life. My guess is that a lot of us will have kind of the shopping list prayers, the things we really need God to help us with or, or do for us, the petitions. My guess is that many of us will have a list of people we pray for people with needs, people with spiritual needs, physical needs, all those things. We pray for other people. But here is the challenging question. In your prayer life, do you carve out space to ask for forgiveness? Do you carve out space to really think about your life, to really think about your sin, and to ask for forgiveness? I reckon for most of us, that might be a, a small part for some of us, it might not be any part. And so tonight, what I want to encourage you to do is to do that. I want to encourage you to start making, seeking forgiveness part of what you pray for on a regular basis. And there's, I guess there's a few steps to this. First of all, we need to, to pray for an awareness of our sin. Now, some of us here, if you're like me, it's, it's not hard for me to think of my sin, okay? I, I'm pretty aware of my sin. But sometimes we can go through life and not be all that aware of it. So we need to pray sometimes for an awareness of our sin. We can pray like David did. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. So when we come to praying for forgiveness, the first step is to ask for an awareness of our sin. Show me my sin, Lord. Show me where I'm failing you. Show me where I'm not living as a good witness. Show me where my life needs to change. A second thing then is to confess your sin, to, ver to verbalize it, to actually say it out loud to God, to let God know what your sin is, to confess it. And there's a, a couple of ways, things I, I want to encourage you to do. First of all, I want you to, to encourage, if you're going to start doing this, to, to confess your sin very specifically. Um, I want you to think of, you know, me praying, okay, I could pray in general, Lord, I confess that I'm a very jealous person. Okay, now that's a very kind of generic prayer. But if I get specific, if I'm really honest, then I could be much more open with God. A specific prayer would look like this. Lord, I confess that I am jealous of the talents that you've given to John. Do you see the difference? Generic confession, yeah, I'm jealous or really specific. Lord, I'm so jealous of the talents that you've given to John and you've not given to me. Confess your sin, be specific, and then also confess the consequences of your sin. Confess how it's affecting you or affecting your relationship with God. Again, think of the, the last one. Father, I confess that I'm jealous of the talents you've given to John. And Lord, it's damaging how I see this person and it's damaging my relationship with this person. And it's making me angry with you for not giving me those things. So become aware of sin. Ask the Lord to reveal it, confess it, and then ask for forgiveness. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus. 
I thank you so much that he died for me. I thank you so much that he, he came to rescue me from sin and from the guilt and from the consequences of it. And I just pray you'd cleanse me and forgive me that I'd know your forgiveness. I'd know the assurance of it. So I wanna encourage you tonight, if there's one thing to do at the end of the sermon, it's that in your prayer life, to make confession of sin and asking for forgiveness part of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually delight in this. I delight in this. I delight in it because you see, whenever I confess my sin and whenever I look to Jesus, I'm delighted by him. I'm aware that I'm a bigger sinner and that's uncomfortable, but I'm aware too that he's a greater savior. So I wanna encourage you to make this part of your, your prayer life and I promise you, your, your view of Jesus and your delight in Jesus will grow and grow and grow. What's not such delight though is the second part of this. Because in the second part, Jesus calls us not only to ask for forgiveness, but to ask for help to forgive other people. Look at the second part. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, would you forgive me? And the second part, would you help me to forgive other people? Now, one of the ways that we can read this is wrongly. We can read this kind of thinking this is a, an if. You know, if you, if you forgive others, then God will forgive you. But what we have to understand is that forgiveness of God comes first. We receive God's forgiveness. And it's when we've received God's forgiveness that we're then empowered to forgive others. The fact that we can forgive other people is a sign that we've really been forgiven by God. The fact that we can offer forgiveness to other people is good evidence that we've received the forgiveness from God first, that, that this is how it works. And again, in Matthew chapter 18, that's Jesus' commentary on this verse. In the story he tells, you've got the servant and he owes, what was it in the NIV that I read? 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot. And the king forgives him his debt. He's been forgiven. And then the story is very clever because it's exactly the same scenario. You've got another man who owes him 100, uh, gold, 100 silver coins. And he says exactly the same words. He begs him for mercy. And what are we all expecting? We're expecting him to forgive him, aren't we? We're expecting him to say, it's okay. I forgive you. Your debt is gone. But then there's this thing in the tail because in Jesus' story, he doesn't. That man has not appreciated his forgiveness enough to forgive the other servant. And this is how it's meant to work with us. As we reflect on and embrace and delight in the forgiveness of God, we're supposed to be people who are able to offer and give forgiveness to those who hurt us, to those who wrong us. And that's really, really hard, which is why we need to pray for God's help to do it. Just on forgiving other people, though, I think it's something that we need to, to realize tonight. And I think I've only really come to believe this fairly recently, is that forgiving others is conditional. Forgiving other people is conditional. Whenever you think of God forgiving us, it's conditional, isn't it? God doesn't just forgive everybody on a kind of blanket scale. God is not a universalist. He doesn't just forgive everybody. God forgives those who are repentant and have faith. There is a condition for God's forgiveness. And what I don't think and what I really don't believe is that God holds us to a higher standard than he has. Forgiveness, I think, is conditional. And what that means is that we're to be open to offering to forgiveness to anyone who's hurt us, but we only forgive them if the conditions are right. 
And what is the condition? The person must be repentant. They must be sorry for what they've done at the very least. They must want to be forgiven. They must show some sort of remorse. I think forgiveness is conditional. Conditional upon someone's remorse and their desire to be forgiven. You know, if, um, oh, who will I pick on? I'll pick on John again. If John comes up to me here and punches me square in the nose and causes it to bleed all over the place and I have to go to A&E and John couldn't care less and, and I might have the heart right to say, I'm willing to forgive him but I'm only willing if John is actually remorseful. I'm only willing if John comes to me and says, Marty, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, especially in front of the whole congregation. You know, will you forgive me? I think forgiveness is conditional. And tonight I want to just say that to you because I think some of you in here may have been hurt by others in very terrible ways and those people have shown no remorse and they've shown no sense of sorrow for what they've done. And I just want to release you tonight and say it's, it's, it's not up to you to forgive them and say it's all okay. The Lord is not calling you to a higher standard than he has. And also I want to encourage you tonight that just because you offer someone forgiveness doesn't mean that there isn't consequences. If someone has wronged you in such a way that is illegal or, or such a way that, that merits the, the consequences of the law, forgiveness doesn't mean that they don't face those. Forgiveness means that you have been able to personally forgive them, but it doesn't mean that they're safe and free from the consequences. And I just want to make those things clear tonight because we're not being called to forgive people just, just out of nowhere. We're not being called to forgive people kind of on a blanket term, but I think we're being called to forgive people who are sorry, remorseful, and seek our forgiveness. Now that still doesn't mean that it's easy. Uh, in fact, it means that it's very hard. There, there's a book um, called Where the, the, Where the Crawdogs Lie. And in it, it I just want to read a little extract from the book. So basically, um, there's a, a guy called Tate and Kaya in this book. And Kaya lives in the marshes. She lives in the swamp. She's kind of like a redneck, you know. And, and she has this kind of really primitive life in the swamps in North Carolina. And Tate grew up with her, and Tate went off to the big city, and Tate said that he would come back for her and take her to be with him, and, and Kaya held on to this promise. But Tate never came back. But then one day, years later, he does. And Tate says this, Kaya, leaving you was not only wrong, it was the worst thing I have done or ever will do in my life. I've regretted it for years and will always regret it. I think of you every day. For the rest of my life, I'll be sorry I left you. I truly thought that you wouldn't be able to leave the marsh and live in the other world, so I didn't see how we could stay together. But that was wrong. And then finishing his plea, Tate watched her until she asked, what do you want now, Tate? He responded, if only you could, in some way, forgive me. The book says that as Kaya looked at her toes, she thought to herself, why should the injured, the still bleeding, bear the onus of forgiveness? And that's such a challenging question, isn't it? When we've been hurt, when we've been wronged, 
when we're the ones left bleeding from what someone else has done? Why is the onus of forgiveness on us? Where the Crawdogs Lie book doesn't tell us, but this book does. We forgive because he forgave us. We forgive even though it hurts because he forgives and it hurt him deeply. As people who have received the forgiveness of God, let's be people who pray this prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Tonight I want to close by actually us um, saying the Lord's Prayer together, by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Um, It just kind of struck me the other night. We've been doing this series and we haven't actually prayed the Lord's Prayer together as a church family, so let's do that. Um, I know the King James Version, which some of you will be very surprised to hear, you know, uh, but yeah. So forgive us our trespasses. That's that's the one I go with. Um, But whatever version you know, if you've learned it in the NIV or the SV, whatever that is, that's good. But let's just take a moment and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.